Welcome to another episode, everybody, to the Cybersecurity Chronicles. I'm Sean Mahoney with Stanley Lee of NestSwitch. And today we have a guest, Fred Doyle. And Fred is an engineer by education, a couple of degrees in electrical engineering, Fred, and started his career off in uh, as a criminal investigative supervisor with a police department in the state of New York. He holds a CISSP with ISC Squared. He is a C-RISC certified a practitioner with ISACA. He is currently the Senior Security Architect with Presbyterian Health Services, and he is the CEO and founder of Cubic Prism. Certainly well-versed in information security systems. Fred, welcome to the show. Thank you. Welcome, Fred. Thank you, Stanley. Fred, we've uh, we've been talking and, and working together for quite a while, and uh, we were talking the other day, the question was, why are we, uh, why is we pour seemingly endless amounts of resources and IT security uh, and organizations today seem less secure than they were yesterday? Expound on your thoughts on that, because you had some pretty interesting ideas uh, as to well, that. And you've, and you've managed it for larger organizations and with clients before. Oh, yes. I, I've managed it for large organizations, small organizations. Um, and just as a, as a point of reference, back during the, uh, the code red fiasco, back in the early 2000s, I had uh, commercial clients that I was consulting for. And my clients didn't have any problems, but boy, did I pick up a lot of clients who got <laughs> slammed with the, the code red. Because even back then, I, I mean, patches, everybody thought patches were optional. I never felt that way, so I diligently applied all the patches as they came out. So my clients <laughs> ended up being being safe, which leads to one of my rules, which is patch as often as you'd like or as seldom as you dare. But security goes far. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Yes. Uh, yeah, and you know, um, security goes far beyond just patching, of course, right? But if you consider Black Hat in 2018, now I, I went this year also, and the number of vendors was was small. It was less than 100. Yeah. But in 2018, when I went, there were 500-some-odd vendors all selling point solutions, all having the silver bullet to the problem. Okay? <laughs> and, and we just keep throwing money at it with all these point solutions, and yet nobody takes the time to really assess whether they need this if they know how to use it yeah the latest and greatest yeah the latest and greatest right um years ago and and this you know this is a, a funny corollary but years ago when i w went for my uh, 2014 went to buy a motorcycle because my kids had all graduated from college and, <laughs> and you know i i said i i promised my, my wife after my accident no i won't get another bike until they graduate so uh I went and went down, bought a motorcycle. Well, another guy in the sales room is talking and the salesman's, you need this, you need this, you need this. And I'm thinking, has this guy ever ridden a motorcycle? Well, sure enough, <laughs> he test drives it in the back parking lot and dumps it. <laughs> you know? oh. <laughs> yes, we are in security in a lot of ways, right? We, we get all these things. We hope it's going to solve the problem we install them. Then we can't find, you know, where to plug it in or where the, the on switch is or or what we do next. 
Um, so, so that's another thing, you know, it's really being driven by salespeople with buzzwords. Um, yeah. the, the latest and greatest attacks, uh, the things we read about in the news every day are not necessarily super advanced in their skill sets. How often does it, is it that it's unpatched, as you said, patch management, unpatched devices that they access into the networks? Um, I, I'd say probably fewer than, uh, for all attacks, fewer than 5% of the time, uh, okay. they, they can be the, the major attacks, but the biggest unpatched vulnerability of any computer system or network or organization is the end user. And we see that all the time with the phishing attacks. Right. Um, so the question is, you go, do you go out and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars? Cause that'll, that's what it'll cost you for a full stack of exploits or do you fish people hoping for that one out of a thousand person that's going to actually not only click the link but download later on the malware and install it um cost benefit analysis that's why phishing is so is so prevalent sure and go back into your early days in the forensic especially in computer forensic fred you and i talk a lot uh, in the background. And, you know, of course, that I knew that your previous uh, uh, career is in as a policeman. And for the department, you were the first one, actually, for, I, I think that it was for the state of New York, right? Correct. For Anadolu County, first cyber case. You are the first one that's starting to deal with computer uh, crimes and starting into the whole procedure process, how police department worked on computer crimes and forensic science. And then after you retire from the police force, you work for huge companies doing forensic analysis. And now you jump to today, and that social engineering is still one of the most available, I don't know, vulnerabilities that in any corporate, <laughs> from a hacker's perspective. My point is trying to get to how do you go from a police department and using the tactics and looking from the human aspect of things to today, what you have done with evaluating risk using automation tools and what would the, be the value of how that social engineering, which you just talked about, it's relatively low cost for the hackers to get into the business and doing causing damages and data breach. What would be your recommendation to the people in our audience and the small businesses that the relationship of the cost and the value of the cost? Uh, yeah, that's, the two. That's, right. And, and that's going to be a lot to unpack, but uh, I'm going to give my best shot. If I miss anything, please <laughs> circle back to me. Um, because IT security is, seems like it's so complicated, right. which to a lot of people it is, to a lot of people, they don't realize what's going on. Um, they don't realize that it's just another form of security. And whether it's securing a bank, securing your house, securing your computer, it all goes to the fundamental uh, principles, right? Uh, principle of, of least function, for example, okay? We should configure computers to only do what they have to do. 
Well, that's the same way with, with the grill in your backyard, right? Or, <laughs> or the lock in your, you know, separating the door from your back or the gate from your backyard. Do you need a 20 foot gate or is a, a little six foot gate high enough? Right? So we find <laughs> out what the least function is and we implement that least access, take a bank. When's the last time anybody here or anybody on this call for that matter has actually been inside the bank vault? Probably never unless you worked for the bank, right? So least access, that's the principle. We don't let just anybody wander in. But for IT security, for some reason, we, we don't pay attention to those things. And then <clears throat> so we have least function, least access. And, uh, access. Those two principles alone um, are being ignored um, by corporations. How many corporate users, for example, have full and unbridled access to the Internet? during their workday and do they need that for the function of their job right yeah and i think that we also talked about thank you for you know yeah. i know my question was a little clunky but it is kind of complicated and i try to understand you know the human behavior why aren't they doing something like what we've been talking about the training aspect of it security training aspect of things for the employee, because that is one of the most cost-effective solution right. that we deem is to just letting your employee know about the training, you know, what needs to, what needs to be aware of. And that is very cost-effective. And in fact, that it might not even cost anything. It's just in the meeting to discuss more about how they're managing the company, you know, computer assets and how they deal with email, phishing emails, that type of thing. So these are the things that we, you know, we always try to, and then I, I, you know, people know me that they know me that I always say, IT is good at whining. We have to keep <laughs> whining to our audience and our customers. It's like, okay, come on, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that, and and a lot of people that jump into conclusion, oh, by doing this is going to cost us a lot of money, and that's what I'm just trying to clarify in the long route and try to put more extra effort to our audience. It doesn't have to be cost, you know, it doesn't have to be costly to have this type of communications and educations and training, and at the end, all we need to do is just shifting their behavior the end user's behavior, and then start looking at the, what we call it the obvious. It might not be so obvious for them, but after a while, they will know the difference as well, in which there are lots of information out there to train them how to watch out for those phishing emails. Right, and, and in, late, in a lot of cases, it is something as simple as, as training or awareness programs. Um, they will never be 100%. So we're still going to need the technical controls as well as the procedural controls. But even when it comes to technical controls, I, I have seen companies of all sizes overinvest, hoping that this is this is a silver bullet that is going to cure my woes. And they'll get something in. They will go out and buy a, a Maserati without knowing how to drive a standard. And that's and and that in some cases is is more of a risk than, you know, buying uh, a Kia or a Hyundai. And I'm not putting down either brand, but they're, they're certainly more affordable than Maseratis, right? Right. Um, so I, 
one of the things that, that, that we've talked about before and, and we're in complete agreement with is you shouldn't have to be a Fortune 500 company to be able to afford a computer security. You should be able to, based on, on what your business needs, get security that is affordable and maintainable and that is going to make you more, more mature as an organization. Yeah, the two simple things, going back to what you were saying earlier, Fred, is just patching. A good patch management program to make all the make sure all the devices are patched and up to date with the security settings, uh, and then you know the employee awareness and repetitive la- throughout the course of the year, making them aware. We always take the approach of putting it into uh, a personal's perspective, their personal banking account, their personal email, their personal information, and when the employees become aware of the things that they do in their own life with their own stuff and trying to protect that, changing those habits that they're into to make themselves better and more secure does tend to lead to more secure company work as well. Oh, that's, that's correct. And, and I mean, something as simple as password reuse, right? Right. Now, you can have a, a, a password that you use for 16 different accounts and it's perfectly safe as long as one of those 16 accounts don't get compromised. Then the, <laughs> other 15, then the other 15 are, of course, compromised as well, right? So you rotate the passwords. But even the fact that we have to have passwords in today's day and age um, kind of points to me that the industry isn't really as a whole looking towards security because there are a lot more effective w- ways of handling an account than a password. I mean, everybody has a cell phone. Um, and yes, you know, more and more businesses are going to the NF- MFA, the multi-factor authentication. But um, you could actually use the the cell phone that you have mm-hmm. to authenticate into that. And then that self-authenticates into the different sites with the right integration. I don't see a lot of products with that. You have other, um, you know, single sign-on options, open ID options. All of these are going to be more secure than trying to juggle a hundred different passwords that you have to write down on a piece of paper. Right. And um, going to the MFA conversation, just real briefly, we did have a client recently uh, who was looking to buy more cyber insurance than we were providing them. They wanted a greater level. And when they went out, they were declined by the insurance company because they did not or they would not in contract to our recommendation, they didn't implement an MFA policy for accessing the corporate network. And so they were declined by the insurance carrier because of not having that policy in place. Well, I, I would not insure them either, honestly. <laughs> because, <laughs> well, well, no, because we go back to the, to the phishing. And again, MFA is just an add-on to your regular credentialing, right? So yeah. you enter your credential, your password, and then you have to have the MFA. Well, that's co- the, the security part of that is called an out-of-channel communication. Right. You have communication one way at the website, the browser. And then you have the out-of-channel uh, communication to the MFA. Now, what that does is it says, okay, he's got to be two places at once, or he's got to have these two things in order to authenticate. Without that MFA, if you answer a Dropbox, um, you know, your password has changed. Enter your new pass- password. And it gives you a form, enter your old, enter your new, and you fall for that trap, 
then the attacker has your password. Couple to, to Dropbox. Couple that with password reuse. He probably has your password to a lot of other things too. And what do they do? Just have that password in your credentials and start scouring, looking for sites that you might already have accounts with? Sure. Yeah. And and why wouldn't they? It, I, I mean, that's that's just time. Is no, is no capital investment on their part. Is just time. Hit the top fifty websites anyhow. <laughs> Hit the top fifty websites to throw those credentials in. Sure. Yeah. Why not? Yeah. Yeah. And then see if you can get more passwords, see if you get more information, see see what else you can get into. And if they happen to have used that password at 15 other sites, it's likely the same one to get into the company network as well. That's correct, yep. Yep. So. And now you're currently working for a pretty good-sized hospital, and they have HIPAA requirements. And go back into the original questions about less secure is that the same thing that, that you can share with our SME audience about the larger enterprises? Are they being less secure, even though they have more resource in terms of budget to throw at to fixing the problem? Well, I, I'm not going to even, you know, pick on uh, the place I work now. I, I mean, they're, <laughs> they're doing a good job. They're, they're making making great steps, great headways uh, in part, you know, because they want to, right? But let's look at Equifax. Equifax, you know, more money than God. And and they were breached. And they were breached not for any other reason than they didn't know what was going on. They didn't watch what was going on. If they went back into the logs, they would have known it. If, if they had right. had their SIM configured properly, they would have seen it. If somebody had verified work done, they would have caught it, but nobody did. So, um, and you go to, to, you know, Equifax, eBay, Target, you don't, you know, you don't have to be a big And company. how about talk about T-Mobile? Sean loves to talk about sure. the T-Mobile yeah. hacks. <laughs> don't, don't get me started again on that, please. T-Mobile, you know, which uh, has a subsidiary that just does data centers. You know, it's... right. So why do you think that they still being less secure going back into it? Well, because in my mind, they're focusing on what they see. They're, they're looking, they have their eyes open on the front gate, but they don't, there's so much activity that there's no way really to prioritize the hundreds of thousands of people coming into their gate on a daily basis. All right. Well, with a large organization like that, it's not—it's not necessarily a gate. It's like a colander. You have so many different ways to get in because you oh, have sure. to. Yeah. So, which gate do you yeah. watch? Right. Um, so, IT even to this day, and and again, Black Hat twenty twenty one, they had some vendors there, and all the vendors were selling point solutions mm -hmm. that would detect this type of attack or detect this type of um, intrusion or prevent this or whatever. But the bottom line is, is, is they're still looking at things from the incoming viewpoint rather than the risk profile of the attackers. If I get hundreds of people hitting a, a certain port that shouldn't be open, but it is open, well, 
that's more of a risk than somebody hitting my my Apache server on port eighty, right, or port four four three. So you know those, right. um, they're not differentiating between the threats and the risk. So they spend and a so lot they, of time they, looking they at the wrong things. They can't handle the, the volume of traffic coming in. Yeah. What would be your recommendation if for most of our audience that don't have the enterprise type of resources? And how do you start looking at from a risk perspective? And we talked about a couple of things, you know, the trainings and 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 some tools aspect of it. But again, you go back into, well, what tool do I need to get? How do I prioritize it? What would be your recommendation? Well, I, I think it's, uh, there are two driving principles that have always served me well. The first one is the Pareto principle, where 20% of your effort should get you 80% of your response. And that means taking a good inventory of where you are. When I say good inventory, I mean honest inventory of where you are. Um, the NIST CSF for cybersecurity framework, NIST CSF, for example, um, is quickly becoming the industry standard for cybersecurity frameworks because it's simple, it's easy to understand. It has 108 subcategories that you can act directly on and improve your maturity. Now, not everybody needs to, to be a level five in maturity on, on everything, but by scoring yourself and figuring out exactly what your score is, then you can say, okay, um, we'll go to prevention and we'll add these things for prevention because that's going to give me the most bang for the buck. So like any other business, unless you're really big and have a lot of money to waste, and, and we can all think of businesses that, that do that, right? Um yeah. Like any other business, you have to do cost benefit analysis and you have you have to game out, you know, I'm going to spend this much money uh for this device or this service or this company and I'm going to get this in return and not just dollars wise but manpower wise. So there are tools that can help uh, help companies today do that. NIST CSF if you if you're not familiar with the framework, Google it, go to the site, take a look at it and you'll see that it's very comprehensive. And I think the, we almost the, the, always get the question is, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a technical guy. I'm just a business guy. <laughs> You're asking me to read all of these, you know, I'm confused. Um, right. Well, you're going to need somebody technical. You don't have you, you don't have to be the only one that answers this. Uh, that grades <laughs> against CSF, right? In fact, it's, it's far better if you collect the information, the data closest to its source, right? Uh, who, who would you ask about um, about the current COVID stats? Somebody from uh, uh, you know the government, uh, NIH, or the golf club pro down the road, right? Who's, who's wondering if he should open up his business again, right? So <laughs> get the data closest from the source of the data. And that means maybe having four or five different people grade different parts of these, uh, of this CSF. Yeah. It doesn't have to be done from the top down. In fact, it's always going to be better if it's done from the bottom up. From an operational standpoint, it's important if you have the multiple parts of your operations, go through this together and get everybody's input because then you can delegate to the people that need that know how best to deal with certain parts of the CSF. Right. 
yeah. to give you the information you need. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. Well, Fred, I know there's a lot more stuff that we could talk about. And uh, I think we'll go down those those rabbit holes on another show. I appreciate your time today. It's been great talking to you about this in an easy way for uh, our, our listeners to at least start down the path to improving their cybersecurity posture. Thank Fred, you. Thank Fred. you very much for joining us. No worries. Uh, very enjoyable. Thank you. Take care. Bye.